Well, good morning. And welcome to Livingstone Church. For those that don't know, I am uh, Jeffrey. I'm the youth pastor here. Um, and the coolest thing, my church, they launched me this last season to uh, go out and do Young Life, to stop looking uh, at our church on the inside and really go out behind our walls um, and, and just and focus on outreach and focus on the youth in our valley. And part of that is for, for three weeks, my church basically had to say, we're, we're going to lose Jeff for three weeks because um, he has to go out on assignment. And uh, let me tell you, the last three weeks um, has been life-changing and amazing. Me and my wife had an opportunity to go down to Washington Family Ranch, which is out in Antelope, Oregon. Most people might know the old Bagabond, you know, the, what, the Rashi's camp or something like that. Yeah. So we were there for three weeks um, getting to hang out with leaders from Young Life and kids from Young Life. And it was amazing and awesome. And uh, I got to be a head leader. So basically my job was to pour into the leaders that show up with their students and uh, pray with them and do devos and then get to hang out with their kids. Like go run around and, and be goofy and all that good stuff. And it was amazing. It was a blessing. And so first off, I just want to say thank you to my, my pastor uh, and my elders and, and my deacons and, and my congregation for saying, hey, let's, let's let them go do this. Um, it was amazing. It was, a, it was an awesome time. But the crazy thing is during that time, the first night I got there, before my bride show up, showed up, uh, I had a night by myself. And um, I'm sitting and preparing and getting ready and, thank you, getting ready to, you know, face the week, face 500 kids that are going to show up with their leaders and pour into them. And uh, I was sitting in my room the first night, and I was sitting there. And I just started reading scripture and I started praying. I was like, God, what are you going to do? Like, show me some things. Like, man, I just want to be used. And uh, I started thinking. And you, and you know when you're kind of like sitting around and you just start thinking, you start pondering some things. And one of the things I started thinking about was like a do-over. You know, that you're sitting somewhere, you're hanging out, and you're thinking, what if? I knew everything I know now, I could go back to like sixth grade and start over. No one ever thinks like that? Am I the only one? No? No one ever sits and say, for me it was football. I loved football in high school and college. And I was like, but maybe if I worked a little different. So like knowing what I know now, what it takes to really be a player, if I can go back to ninth grade and start all over, start high school over and start playing football again and really take it for like serious, right? Like, you know, I'm the only one that thinks like that. Man. Exactly. You never know. You never know. These students that were going to show up that first week at camp, they were going to get a do-over. For 450 kids, it was going to be an opportunity for them to hear the gospel of Jesus for the first time. For 450 kids, it was going to be an opportunity to come out of the environment that they live in 
I got to meet a bunch of kids from uh, Westlake, Seattle, in Southlake, Seattle. I don't know how familiar you guys are, but in Southlake, it's, it's not the prettiest place. It's pretty rough. These kids got to deal with violence and drugs and abuse. And, and so for them, this was their do-over. See, this was an opportunity for the start of this week for them to show up and have their life radically changed because of the gospel. Because God was going to work that week. And every week we were there. So as I started preparing and thinking and praying, I started going into this book of John that we're going to be looking at this morning. See, I don't think I'm so weird. I think people generally like to think about that do-over. What about someone so lost, so far out, that they can only dream? That's what I was going to face that week and the weeks to come. So far out that they can only dream and think in the now because of what life has thrown at them, him or her, the challenges they face. So as I started diving into scripture, I, I landed in John chapter 4. This past semester, this past season in school, I've been writing research papers on John. For whatever reason, God has just had me here. And the start of this week, I wanted to look at this chapter different. Because at first, when I first started diving into the scriptures, I was looking at it from this conservative sin-like view. This like, ah, you're a sinner and that's it. I actually looked at this woman as the bad girl in her town. I looked at her as the, the, uh, like with some disdain, with some disgust. When I first opened up John chapter 4. But it wasn't until the second day into camp that my eyes started shifting. So you have this woman, she's going out to fetch water. They say it's the sixth hour. The sixth hour at this time, it's It's noon. And it's hot. And she's out here and, and Jesus is on his way. He's taking a trip. And they stop at this well. And you have this, this, this moment where Christ is about to enter into a conversation with this woman. I started thinking about the kids on that second day of camp of these kids that are just broken, these kids that are like hurting, and I get to enter in to a conversation. But I cannot have the eyes that I first had when I read this. I can't look at them about their sin. I can't look at them and, and say that's what defines them. It was crazy. That second day, I got to hang out with this kid named Mitchell. Now, Mitchell wasn't just a regular high school student. Mitchell was one of our Capernaum kids. Capernaum in young life is young life for students that are disabled. You've got kids with Down syndrome. You've got kids with uh, all kinds of just things wrong with them. Some can't speak. It's verbal. It's physical. Feeding tubes and all this stuff. But this day, the second day of camp, Mitchell didn't want to go on the zip line with his group. 
And I was like, hey, I understand that, not wanting to go on the zip line. So I got to spend the day with Mitchell. We're driving around in my golf cart. And as I'm talking to Mitchell, I'm like, Mitchell, what's going on? I want to get to know you. And he goes, you don't want to get to know me. Because getting to know me, you're going to learn some things about me. You're going you're to learn some ugly things. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, okay, he's a Capernaum kid with Down syndrome. Like, what, what bad can come out of this? And he goes, Jeffrey, I need this week of camp. I'm like, why, Mitchell? I am stuck in a box. What do you mean? All I do is sit at home 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and look at porn. I I was floored. Here's a high school friend who's got Down syndrome, and this is his struggle. I, I was lost. What do you say to this? It took me to the conversation of this Samaritan woman in, in, in Jesus. See, I truly believe every day we come into contact with people like this woman. However, for some reason, the hurt doesn't always show on the outside. Some people, some people wear a mask to cover the invisible pain that exists just beneath the surface of their lives. It may be your next door neighbor or a member of your family, a friend, a coworker, someone in the school hallway, or maybe even the person sitting next to you right now. Some of you here today are living every day in private pain that is eating away at your soul. That day in the golf cart, I was sitting next to Mitchell and it was eating away at him. Now, I could have reacted one of two ways. I could have acted with a a look of disdain and disgust. Or I could have looked at him the way Jesus looked at this woman. With compassion and love right where she was at. We're going to be turning to John chapter 4, starting at verse 4. This morning, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. It reads, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him And he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, 
everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I, so that I won't thirst and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is for, from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when a, the true worship will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father calls. God is spirit and his worshipers must Worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to him, I who speak to you am he. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this Sunday morning, this opportunity to look at your word and to see what and how it can be used in our lives, Lord. Be with us during this time. May you give me the words to speak. It's in your son's name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As you, as you first look at this, the first time I started really diving into this, this chapter, um, this past semester, I really had to understand what the Samaritan, the Jew, and I'm just going to give you just a quick little run through. We have a picture up here. And so you see Judah, that's where actually where Jesus was starting at. And he was actually making his way to Galilee. The thing is, it's 70 miles from there to there. 70 miles. But if you was a Jew, you didn't go nowhere near this place. You did everything you can, could to skirt around it. So basically you would cross and go up and then back. You added on another 70 to 100 miles. They say it's about 140 to 170 miles out of the way instead of just going straight. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I would walk straight through it. I'm, that's a long trek. <laughs> I'm just saying, brother, whew, let's just get there. That's fine. And I started thinking like, okay, Jesus did something unique here. He understood he had an appointment he had to make. He had a mission that day, and nothing was going to stop him. Not a town, not the people, not what they believe, not what people think. He said, there is a daughter that I need to see. There's a daughter that I need to love on right where she's at, and so I'm going to go to her. So she, he makes his way. That's the first thing. 
Jesus did. The second thing in these times, a man outside of his wife, you, you don't go just talking to some random woman. You just don't do it. You're trying to be above reproach. Let alone, do you talk to a Samaritan woman? I love it. Not only did Jesus talk to the Samaritan woman, the first thing he said to this woman is, will you give me a drink? He opened up to her. He showed his, his vulnerability, saying, I'm thirsty. I need a drink. How humbling is that? She knew who he was, and he knew who she was. And he's like, I want a drink. But the funny thing is, she's like, who are you? You're a Jew. This interplay in this conversation is so beautiful. See, you got to think about it. It's noon. It's hot. This interplay was going to take place because Jesus knew she couldn't go with the rest of the women in the village to go get water. Usually you would go early in the morning when it's cool out. That's where you would have your fellowship. That's where you would talk and conversate, share pictures, well, not pictures of your kids and maybe some stone tablets, but <laughs> he would just, he would hang out. You know what I mean? What's going on in your world? What are you cooking tonight? What are you cooking tonight? You'd have that bond, that fellowship. It's beautiful, these women in this community, because that's how we're supposed to live life, is in a community, not out on our own. Not on an island. You're supposed to live it together. But for whatever reason, the town she's from, those women in that village, for whatever reason, I ask you this question, I mean, have you ever felt like the outcast? Like everyone else gets to go to the well at 9 a.m., but you got to go at noon. See, this woman, you know, here it says, you know, not only did you have, you know, not only are you living with some guy now, but you've, you've had five husbands. When I first read this book, I was like, ah, this woman, like, I was like, ah. But I'm going to be honest, it was a conversation on social media. It was camp that opened and took off blinders. I said, Jeff, where's your compassion at? And as I started reading it, I started reading it with this lens of, like, Christ of sitting here saying, I want to get to know her, like her whole story. So I went and I did some research, and I started thinking about women back then. Most were restricted to roles of little or no authority. They were largely confined to their father or husband's home. They were considered to be inferior to men and under the authority of men, either their father before marriage or their husbands after. A wife was listed among a man's property, right along his ox or his calf, or his sheep. My heart started breaking when I started thinking about this woman. She didn't fit in with the other women. She was a complete outcast. It's hot. It's the middle of the day. She's out here by herself. She's thirsty. But her thirst ain't, ain't this spring of water, this well of water. 
There was a hole inside of her that was wanting to be filled. I like what Pascal says here. The next one. There is a God-shaped hole in each of us that only God can fill. That day, her hole, her, her piece that was missing had to be filled. As I started thinking about this, Jesus talks to her about living water. Water will cure your thirst forever. How amazing would that be for this woman to get this, this thirst taken away and she'll never have to go to the well by herself. She'll never have to. She'll never have to be alone. Like, that's a beautiful thing. I started thinking a little bit more about this. As, as we read here, the woman said, Sir, give me this water in verse 15 so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. It was embarrassing for her to go out by herself. I love what Jesus does. He doesn't pull any punches. He gets right to the issue. It's not this thirst, this material, this thing. He's like, girl, I want to get to know you. When I started reading this passage, what it took me to, we only see a brief glimpse of this conversation. We don't know what was, what was said that day. But this is what I'm thinking. This is completely me. Because I, I can't. I mean, it's just not there. I don't know. But when I started reading, I started thinking. And I had to go to other scriptures to interpret it and to see what it was saying. And what I thought of is that woman walking in the market that day who's been sick and damaged for all these years. And she's with her face. She says, if I just touch his robe, I'll be healed. That day, Jesus was on a mission. He had another appointment he had to make. But he stopped that day at that moment, turned and knew exactly who it was, and he took time and heard her entire story. He had this conversation with his daughter of like, what's going on? What, what, what do you mean you're hurt? You're sick. Oh, ooh, that? Like you think about that woman that was on that road. She shouldn't even been there. By law, she was considered unclean. She knew she needed something. And Jesus again intercedes on her behalf. Just like he does with the Samaritan woman. She's thirsting and in need of something. She doesn't know it. She's tried the husbands. I think about this when I started reading, okay, she's a woman this time. Let's run down this, okay? If you was a woman and you got married to a man, if your husband died, you got shipped off to the brother. Okay, let's say the brother doesn't want you. You get shipped off to the uncle. Let's say the family don't want you. You get shipped off to someone in town or your father could sell you off. You had no right, no claim, no ownership. I, I, just, I wonder what that conversation was like. Because this is what happens. Because of this beautiful conversation, when Jesus doesn't pull any punches, he goes, girl, I know. I know you, you, you're, ooh, man. But through all of that, Jesus shows her some compassion. 
see, we only have a couple paragraphs of this conversation, but somehow after speaking with Jesus, this rejected, shameful outcast found living water. Starting in verse 29. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. He filled a need, and the minute it was met, her heart shifted. Her heart changed. Just as mine did this last couple weeks. Of what I say and how I treat people and how I look at individuals, my heart shifted. Just as her shifted of like, he filled something, he gave me something, I got to share this with everyone else. And you think about it, this town she runs into and she starts saying, this guy is telling me everything that's wrong in my life. They're like, yeah. These are the same people that won't even go and share water with her. But it says that they came. I love this image of many of the Samaritans in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This morning, if you're sitting here, we all have a testimony. We all have something in our heart, something in our life, something about us. It's the story that God has written for us. Because of her testimony, her, people in her town found salvation. Because she trusted in the Messiah, because she trusted in Jesus Christ. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of the word of his words, many more became believers. I love this how Jesus can use a Samaritan woman to do his work. How beautiful is that? No matter what we've been through or what, what's happened to us in our past or, you know, how many times we want to do that do-over. He's sitting here saying, let me fill that gap that's missing. Let me fill in the blank. Let me be your water. For that moment... Scripture, we don't know how long it was, but being with Jesus radically changed her life. And she brought her whole town. I got a video I want to share before we close out.
As I finished off my assignment the last week, I had this opportunity to be part of Young Lives, which is for high school moms who are pregnant or already have a child. On Wednesday of this week, uh, I've got to have this conversation with one of the girls. She was just talking about her life. And I just shared my testimony with the group. And she asked me this simple question. Um, My life is wrecked. The things that I have to do and having a kid. She's like, and she was was going on and she's sharing the story of she was at a garage sale and she seen some scrubs there and she bought them. She bought these scrubs because she, her dream job, her dream reset was to one day be a nurse. And so what she would do, her mask was she would put on these scrubs and she'd look in the mirror. And then like to take it a step further, she would walk in her, her community um, just so people would be like, oh, have a busy day or whatever. Or she'd go grab coffee somewhere and, and she'd put this mask on. As I was sitting there talking to her, and I was having this conversation, and we were being real, I started thinking more and more of what Christ did this day. He sat and was patient and listened and loved on her and showed compassion. My challenge for for us this morning is, Do we do the same thing? Do we truly walk in our community, whether it's here in the Valley of Chelan or on the other side, do we really walk through our community and show compassion? Or do we make individuals feel like this woman out on an island by herself? Whether it's through gossip, through our words, through our actions, If we do, I know why. Because there's a thirst in us that's missing. See, if we do this to others, there's a thirst in us that is missing. There's something that is missing inside of us. So what is the thirst in your life and what are you still trying to fill it with? What is is that thirst that you're hanging on to? I know these last three weeks, this last month of getting prepared and hearing messages and stories and seeing things and listening, for whatever reason, God has revealed some things to me, some hangups, some some things that had to change my attitude. And just like this, this woman, I was still thirsting. I was still I needed to hear someone's true heart on how they feel and ask, am I missing the boat? Am I not right with him? Because at the end of the day, what Jesus says to her, when he says, true worship will worship with the Father in spirit and truth. 
And the moment we're out of line, the moment we're missing a beat, we can't be in right worship with the Father until we turn and ask for forgiveness. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning, this opportunity to share your word. I love the story of the Samaritan woman, Lord, who you showed compassion, grace, gave her hope and love. She's no longer rejected. She is your daughter. Be with us this day. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.